Um, can you explain by candlelight why I have a glass of milk, one egg, and two balls of dough on this plate? There is no power, Michael. So is that French toast without power? That is how we do French toast without power. Welcome back, toasting, <laughs> toasting design, Shaka Shaker and Michael Burr. Let's talk about keeping your eye on the ball. And how easy it is to get lost. And how easy it is to get lost. Maybe what causes that, we can go into that. Have you got an example for us? I've got a classic one. All right. Uh, let's get into it's, it. it's from about 12 years ago. and um, Hopefully the, the student's still not around. Yeah, the, the problem was as follows. Uh, well, there's lots of traffic between Joburg and, uh, and Pretoria. Okay. So, you know, can you beat the traffic? Uh, it was about the time that the car train was being built. Okay. Um, air taxis and things hadn't been conceived yet. The mm. idea of the flying car, you know, Terra Fusia was still just in prototype stage. So it was a, a pretty hot topic, you know. Could yeah. you could you do this sort of, um, you know, four business people at a time? Uh, it, yeah. yeah. So the the student, by the time they got to the PRS, had, had maps of Gauteng and the freeways and how long it took. And, I mean, this is pre-Google traffic and, and ways sure. and all that. So the student defines the distance. So okay. The, Joburg CBD to Pretoria CBD is, you know, whatever, 58 kilometers yeah, or whatever, there, yeah. um, as the crow flies. And then, of course, there's, uh, if you want to beat traffic, um, you need to throw a time at it. Yeah. You know, time, time is, is the thing that you're actually trying to save. So the student said, you know, if you can do that in an hour, that in traffic, an hour, that's bloody good. Yeah. That, that can certainly beat the traffic. It beats the two or two and a half. That's so I'd say up to this point, the student's doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. We've got a, we've got a, a we've got who needs to be carried with yeah. what, and we've got a distance, yeah. and we've got a time. Okay. Oh, cool. Well, use a little first year or even high school uh, velocity distance time triangle to work out your average speed. Yeah, that, uh, that's not too much. Okay. Now here's the question: Do you need to go any faster than that average speed? Well, I mean, it depends on the nature of your vehicle. But I mean, so if you're saying as the crow flies, we're probably flying. Yeah, and if you're designing it purely for Joburg to uh, to Pretoria, that's fine. If it was Joburg to Durban in an hour, that's a different airplane. Yeah, yeah. All right, but this was really constrained, route-specific, okay. designed, designed perfectly. So the student then goes and comes up with some perfectly good concepts. Okay. Uh, the one which, which won was a sort of micro-light wing attached to two chairs similar to this. Um, oh, God. Sort of semi-closed cockpit for okay. flying in weather and sure. cold at night. Yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah. And it had a little propulsion system on the back. So not, not a bad a bad idea. I mean, okay. microlights do go at about that speed. Yeah, no, I mean, that, yeah, it's, what, because we're talking about, what, 60, 70 k's 60 an hour? 60 k's an hour, yeah. Okay. Hard, hardly fast, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what the student then did was lose track of how things actually work. And the student found how much energy they needed and what the fuel flow rate would be mm. at, uh, you know, I don't know, four liters an hour or, or something like that. Okay. So technically only needed four liters of fuel as, uh, as, as the design required. Um, and then the student made the following assumption. Okay. Found a fuel tank, which was, I think, uh, a, a 30, a 30 liter tank. Mm-hmm. And then the student did the following maths. Well, you have to empty the fuel tank that you've got. Yeah. So what you then do is you take, you know, 30 and you divide it by four. And uh, all of a sudden, you now have to fly around for seven point something hours because you have to use all the fuel in the fuel tank. 
For the audio listeners there, I am pulling one hell of a confused face right now. Um, and, and this is probably because when the student met uh, with, with, with the super, and this was a third design project, so it's, it's sort of peer assessed. Yeah. It may have been from the comment that when aircraft land, there's, you basically use all the fuel that's specified for the mission. I mean, I, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. So now, now what you do is you had a distance of velocity a distance of time, you got a velocity. Yeah. What you then do is you recalculate time, but your distance stays the same. So you end up with a new super slow velocity. Like you could walk between the CBD. I can see where this is starting you to go. You can see where this is going. But now the problem is you've got to fly so slowly that you need a really, really big wing to keep you airborne at this mega, mega slow velocity. And the problem was, uh, even though the air is nice and dense at the surface, yeah. um, you needed such a big thing that it ended up being way too heavy. Like it's bordering on a cut. Okay. okay? So then what you do is you start to use the high altitude winds. Yeah. That in the morning tend to blow in one direction and often blow in the opposite direction. And that allows you to have whatever airspeed you need, but your ground speed now allows you to take the full seven point something hours to get from Joburg to Pretoria. So you've made a shit decision. Excuse my French. You made a really bad decision. Goes with a toast. <laughs> a really really bad decision and then decided to just make it work instead of identifying you know what so something something doesn't seem right here I'm, but i'm gonna keep making it work. and do you know how easy it is uh and, and you sit with students all the time once this thing exists in a spreadsheet as a, a doodle and yeah. you put it in it's buried it never it never gets fixed yeah. until right at the end and sometimes they're really difficult to pick up so the the sort of end of this design was something that flew at uh, less than 10 kilometers per hour mm. um, at 40,000 feet above all other traffic <laughs> in the sort of jet stream <laughs> to keep the ground speed to be really, really slow. Um, and then again, remember, I said it was an enclosed cockpit. I didn't say it was sealed and pressurized. <laughs> so coincidentally, above 10,000 feet, you start to need oxygen. Yes. And, and you know, near 40,000 feet, whatever you... Um, if you're unpressurized, your your blood can start boiling. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's one of the best examples of procedurally, it was okay to, I mean, it was good to a point and then the procedures were sort of okay. But if you lose, if you lose target or what you're trying to do, um, you can make some really big mistakes. So, I mean, it's a topic we, we keep talking about, you need to define the problem. In this case, I would say, if anything, the problem is actually defined and fairly well defined I, I think in this case the problem was well understood yes but the solution wasn't well like, the, the whole thing is is that you it's not a case of once you define the problem define the problem well sure but you've got to keep coming back and answering asking yourself how does this solve that problem when you make your next decision and you suddenly selected that fuel tank and you are now choosing the speed how is this solving the problem of getting to that point yeah because if you lose sight of that problem, as well-defined as it is, it, your solution is then still gone. So in, in, in industry and at, at fourth year level, uh, the sort of thing that students need to try and do is a sort of critical review yeah. where you invite in, a, and, and critics can be your parents, it can be your friends, it can be your roommate at res, and you basically just run through not the technical detail. No one gives a damn about no. uh, where and how von Mises acts in this thing. <laughs> uh, but the bigger picture thing, um, you know, someone without an engineering education would have picked up this whole, but 
you told me you needed to fly Joe Pretoria in an hour. Now it's seven. Yeah. And that simple question would, would trigger the student's mind to be, uh, oh dear, what has happened? How, how did this even happen? Yeah. And it's literally as easy as that. Um, you know, the other thing I also say, you know, it's, you brought up the point of the doodles and things. Certainly I would say as a, a, one of the other things to be or not worried about, but keep an eye out for as students is the other one of when you start CADing and you then, oh, I don't know how to CAD that. So I'm actually just going to, you know, I'm going to draw it like this. And suddenly your design is defined by your CAD abilities rather than anything, anything That's else. That's right, designed um, to your CAD ability. And that is a really, really bad decision because you cannot substantiate it. No. The only way you're substantiating is that I'm not good at something. And that's, that, that should be warning bells to you. You should not be telling someone, yeah, the reason I did this is I'm not good. Yes. <laughs> what are the signs that would you, maybe as a supervisor or if you're undertaking the design yourself, um, so before you've gone and you've done the peer assessment, uh, what signs would you look for in terms of something's going wrong? I literally play that really irritating childhood thing that kids do with their parents where you just ask why. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so a student says, I've decided this. And you think, uh, okay, that's your final number. Mm. And then, you know, very quickly in my head, I try and work out, do I have a similar number? And if the answer is yes, okay, what was your assumption? Because I think we, we, we might have arrived at the same mistake or, yeah. or correct point. Um, and then quite often the numbers are, are completely different. And, yeah. then, and then often it's a decision that's made, which is a thing in a spreadsheet quite often, or it's a, a, a logic thing which has no real basis. Yeah. And then that's worked through. Um, got another example. It was a, a group yeah. of three students uh, two years ago. Okay. Um, their final design ended, well, the final designs ended up being pretty good. And the open-ended problem was um, effectively that standard like motor racing and stuff is is boring it's yeah. it's lost the cool the the cool factor audiences are finding other extreme things to watch mm. um and, and yet some of the traditional things like horse racing dog racing pigeon racing still keep going yeah because you can't really throw technology at it so it's yeah. it's, it's sort of old-fashioned it's down to the you know horse training horse ability and then the jockey jockey skill yeah and there's a little bit of luck um luck to it but anyway um what these students ended up doing to um, reinvigorate and, and make motorsport more exciting was initially they focused on making the rider of, let's say, a superbike um, able to crash at much higher speeds. Ooh. Okay. But here's the okay. thing. If you design and, and initially, you know, the winning preconcept, as there always is a winning preconcept, was a sort of exoskeleton thing. Okay. That adds mass. And yeah. it adds drag. Yeah. And here's my question. Current superbikes, mm. are they limited in speed because a driver can't handle it? And the answer is no. No, they go as fast as they humanly can, yeah. regardless. So putting an exoskeleton on the person riding it is not going to make the sport any quicker or faster. No. No. So what problem does that solve? Yeah, well, I mean, okay, I mean, what, what is the problem? It's the problem that we want to be, you know, people like watching crashes. Well, this is the thing. I started okay. to ask those sorts of questions. And I mean, my thing was, if you had superbikes at the end of a, let's call it an airport runway in opposite directions, mm -hmm. with riders in exoskeletons with wooden poles, and they Ooh, jousted yeah. with superbikes, I'd watch that. Yeah, no, no, hell in yeah. In which I'd case, I can understand exactly, we're now knights in the modern, the modern era. But for the purpose of racing, 
that problem wasn't a thing to solve. So do you think it's a case of they haven't properly substantiated the problem in the, or, or they didn't probably substantiate the problem in the first place? Or it's a case of with that problem they went off, they lost track of the problem? It's that classic thing of you come up with an idea, it might be your first, it might be your second, yeah. and it sounds cool. Yeah. And at that stage you stop to think. You stop thinking... Okay, what would my mother think about this? Yeah. Or uh, you know, what would the head of, uh, of of Ducati think about this? And you just you just ride with it because it's basically the first cool idea. Yeah. But there's a difference between cool <laughs> and solving a problem. Yeah, and I, actually, I mean, you see it in all the years of study, mm. and it's not just from okay. I mean, it, it's very often with students. I want to do this. I have this idea in my head. I'm going to do this. I will force the problem to be that. I will force the design to be that. Classic. The answer is solar. Therefore, I will design a solar-powered something. I've wanted to do solar all my life. I've wanted to do biodiesel all my life, whatever the case is. The other that, That's about as sad as this pile of stuff on my plate. <laughs> we really need to get rid of all that bloody raw materials. Um, the other side, though, and it's something that certainly students need to be very careful on, when you talk to a lecturer, your supervisor, your boss, and they give you an idea. Ooh, that would be a cool idea. Have you considered that? The students then think, right, that is my loophole. They have said I can do that. I don't need to think about it. You said that's a cool idea. I will now yeah. do that. It is a way when we do that 99 times out of 100, 99.9 .9 times out of 100, it's there to spark some kind of interest we still expect you to back it up. We still expect you to find some rationale behind it. Just because someone then goes and says, you know, that'd be really cool if you had an exoskeleton. Doesn't mean that is your ticket out of everything. Well, you said I could do exoskeletons. I'm not doing it. Or, well, Mr. Sheckman thought that that was a good idea. Therefore, yeah. I don't need to back it up. Maybe, I guess, in a, in a sense, if you are... It, it came up as a point yesterday with the third years... It was a good question one of the students asked in terms of how, you know, when you're trying to back up that information, but mm. someone has told it to you, or you happen to know this particular fact, how do you back up, how do you substantiate that? You can't, unfortunately, use that person saying it necessarily. No, and, and quite often you can take something which you, you hear, I mean, you, you might hear it in an unreferenceable place. Yeah. You know, you're at a... Um, a crash car, racing car derby, and the announcer says something, and you think, but if you do this, and you add it to that, and then you take away one of the wheels, you have a new sport. Yeah. Okay. How do you how do you reference that? And the yeah. thing is, if you've taken something that is sort of public knowledge, or you could have derived it yourself, which is not necessarily based on any fact, mm. you can work with it, and that is a self-created idea. Exactly. You rash, you, you know, obviously you don't just suddenly throw it out in, in when talking to someone about it, whether a report or um, verbally. Uh, You've you got to break down and show your logic as to how you came to that idea. Why we're taking one wheel off here? Why is the existing solution? So it's not just a case of, I have this idea. We, we'll still ask that question, why or so. The other, I mean, you know, as Michael said, the one thing he asks is why. The one thing I tend to say a hell of a lot is... So, you've told me something, I said, okay, so, so, who cares? What is the significance of what you've just done? 
Yeah, the, the other thing which I tend to say quite a lot is there's, there's why, and then the student will answer that. And generally, they, they will throw numbers at me. Well, the answer is this, therefore, that's good. And my reply to that is, and then? Yeah. Which is the, okay, now I've got some context to this, mm -hmm. and, and what's the following? Um, just two short points, mm. uh, if I remember them. The, uh, the, the first one was the, the advice you get from the supervisor. Um, let's say you're busy working on something, and the super, supervisor says, well, don't forget about solar. Yeah. That does uh, not mean the winning concept is solar. It just no. means, and, and, and this is the key with design. Solar is, uh, it, it's a certain function. Yeah. There's free energy available. You can capture it in a variety of different ways uh, using all the principles of physics that you, that you like, and you can then use it for certain things. Mm. And that, that would be a function. Yeah. So the function might be, what about free energy? Yeah. In which case there might be free thermal energy, there might be free wind hydro, energy. wind, and anything yeah. like that. It doesn't mean that the supervisor meant if it's not solar, you're going to, exactly. going to fail. Uh, so that was point one. And then the, the, the last thing about how the exoskeleton ended up being, being ditched was if you take the... So as soon as the students thought about what the actual problem was, the problem was that technology, even though it's super cool, has made modern motor racing boring. It's made it really safe. Yeah. And you've got a lot more data to watch while you're watching it, but the sport itself is no longer as interesting as something old fashioned. Yeah. Um, downhill skateboarding or, or horse racing, etc. Yeah. And the thing was, the major issue if you take F1 is that you've got a human being in the cockpit, but there's no actual direct human control between that person and let's call it the power system. Mm -hmm. that's a computer decides what's yeah. best um, so you know that's a bit like a, a jockey riding a mechanical horse yeah. where he can kick and whip and do whatever he wants and the horse will literally only obey what the engineers have programmed into it who would I mean a, a mechanical horse we'd all watch that but sure um, for the first couple of races in there yes, are going to get quickly. boring um, and what the students ended up doing was stripping transmission art okay because if you take that away you know F1 was cool when it was you know clutches and double clutches yeah, and yeah, gearboxes yeah. and gear changes and all that sort of stuff. Now, okay, everyone, you know, if, if you breathe, you can go through all six gears type thing. Yeah. Um, and, and then to replace the, the, the tractive skill with a pure Newton form of thrust in the form of everyone has stock standard jet engines bolted mm. to traditional style racing things. So effectively, a jet-powered horse that a rider yeah. gets to race and that would make it interesting because then you're back to just pure rider skill. Yeah. The rider literally has to move all over and control the balance of the, of the design. And the three things that were created were novel. They were brand new, never been done before. Mm. Um, and one of them is actually being prototyped at the moment. Mm. I also want to get back to that, that point of when a supervisor or someone suggests why not solar. And okay, so you know, if, if it's your friend who's saying it, you, you might not be as inclined to then go with it. But your boss, your supervisor says, you know, why not solar? Uh, it's not a case of a we're saying that's the best solution. The reason we're, we're pointing it out is we want to see that you have at least considered it. Yeah. Because currently you have not considered it. And when I'm looking through a design and someone, or someone's explaining a design to me and they say, okay, these are my options. If any option other than what you've said comes to mind, I want to know why you haven't talked about it. Yeah. I want to know why you suddenly dropped it. And it's fine if you have a reason that you are in an underground farm 
Okay, that's a pretty good reason not to do solar. Yeah. You know, light doesn't really do well underground. Um, so, fine, as long as you have that explanation. So, when we're asking that, it's just as a, I've thought of this. Yes. Have you? Mm. It's not a thing of, I want this solution. This is what you have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you have to be wary if you, if you just take that example. I mean, my, my first thing... You know, when a student says, ah, how do you design uh, floats Oof. for an aeroplane? Yeah. And I, my first thing is, or actually the best concept is no floats. Yeah. I mean, you want to add something, anything you add to an aeroplane makes it worse. Yeah. How do you do this without that? And then it comes down to what function are you searching for? Mm. Okay, you don't want your wings to f get in the water and get wet. Mm. Okay, how can you solve this with human beings, gyroscopes, well-trained dolphins, etc., 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 before we get to floats. Yeah. And with the underground farm thing, uh, first question would be, um, okay, you've got this underground farm and you can't use solar. My first thing is, well, you don't need a very big hole in the ground to get a cable down to where you need it. Mm -hmm. So solar up above and farm down. Oh, yeah, sure. You, okay. then, you then elaborate, yeah, but the farm is three kilometers underground where the air temperature is <laughs> 130 degrees and... It's, it's geothermal because the heat is all yeah. there. Ah, yes, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why we ask the questions. And that's why it's, it's you know, don't be scared of, of bringing things and asking, I've done this. And then just look at the facial expression. If it's a sort of look of, I've just taken three shots of Tabasco in my eye, <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. It's or the, the only thing that's going to improve what's on my plate, by the way. Or, if, you know, if the look is like, you know, you just told the most horrific story on the planet and you, uh, I've killed your family. <laughs> okay, no, this is, not going, this is not a good story. But if the person, if you see the, the lecturer now thinking, it, it's not a bad sign. It's not saying it's wrong. It's just you've sparked their own interest. And That's right. And, that. and the thing that they're doing is they're trying to figure out, all right, so how's this not going to work or what's the biggest problem with it? And you've actually really done well if you yeah. walk out with just a few comments or else... Uh, yeah, carry on. I'll, I'll think about it and I'll exactly. let you know if there's a yeah. problem. So it, it means you've covered yourself. But yeah, I, I think you just have to keep focused on it. Mm. And um, you know, just remember the problem that you're trying to solve. And remember, it's supposed to be open-ended. Engineers make decisions based on this thing and a calculation and an answer. Mm. It's possible that you can make a mistake. Yeah. And that answer ends up being superficially good. So it's often very good when you get to that level where you've got an, an answer for A and an answer for B. And A is a winner, but you're not sure if it's right, ask. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good finish off point for this particular one. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll get back to you guys in another episode, I guess. Cheers.